Travis Trent once had a song called It's a Great Day to Be Alive. Well, it's a great day to be alive and out on the water from the bridge. This is your Captain Rick Jones speaking to you from the Carolina Low Country. We have a terrific show for you today. I can't believe it, but this is already episode 10 from our second season of From the Bridge. And my guest angler is a 10 himself. I'm talking about Mike Polisi, Executive Vice President at Van Wagner Sports and Entertainment, who oversees their college sports division. I'm so looking forward to our talk with Mike today because today's show is all about innovation. And both Mike and Van Wagner are always innovating. We'll have another soapbox and another great place to eat on the road with Rick. So without further ado, let's get this party started. Innovation. The old Webster Dictionary defines innovation as the introduction of something new or a new idea, method, or device. Y'all know that one of my heroes is Winston Churchill, and Churchill once said, never waste a crisis. (laughs) I like that thought. Well, we're certainly in the middle of a crisis, yet some organizations and individuals will come out of it way, way ahead of others. And how are they going to do that? Simply put, innovation. As I mentioned last week and multiple times before, I'm a huge John Maxwell fan. John says that every opportunity comes gift-wrapped in a problem. I think innovation is the process of unwrapping the problem and finding that opportunity. And innovation is mostly about finding a new or improved way to provide a service to people. Now, we know no Americans are traveling to Italy right now, and so they're not taking any cooking lessons over in Italy. So folks in Tuscany are now holding online cooking sessions, teaching people how to cook amazing Italian goods and foods while holding a party just like you would do it if you were there in person. All of us in the sports and entertainment businesses are contemplating how we can engage with the fans who are not going to be in the stadium or in the theater or in the concert hall. Our client Dollar General has long had a tradition of promoting what we call home gating for their customers who watch college football games on television. If we do have college football this fall, there'll be less people in the stands. And so a whole lot more folks will be watching those games on TV. Many will watch with friends and families outside of the stadium at their tailgating sites. So how do we enhance their experience either at home watching on TV or in a parking lot or a field outside the stadium watching on TV. Maybe we mail a free game program that would be paid for by a corporate sponsor to the fans' home. Or maybe we deliver free coffee and donuts to those fans in the parking lot. Again, paid for by a corporate sponsor. You get the idea, because ideas can come from anywhere and from anyone. Every day, Monday through Friday at our agency Fishbait, right at 5 p.m., we hold a company-wide Zoom call. And each day we focus on one single idea or opportunity to create innovation. Is your organization focused on innovation? 
You'd better be. My guest today is Mike Polisi at Van Wagner Sports and Entertainment. Van Wagner does a lot of things like managing the all-state field goal nets that you see on television and in stadiums. They also have all the rotating Dorna signage you see in venues and on TV and basketball games, college and pro. Uh, You may see them with the virtual signs behind home plate that appears on broadcast. They also did most of the work behind the NFL's uh, virtual draft this year. But Mike's job is leading their college sports multimedia rights division, and he has a lot of thoughts on how to make colleges more successful through innovation. Let's welcome Mike to the bridge. Hey, pal, thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Rick. Always, always great to talk to you. And uh, and I and I love From the Bridge. I got to tell you what, I've been in this industry for 30 years and I always pick up some phenomenal piece of his advice when I when I listen to your podcast. So thank you. Well, I appreciate that. We, we were talking today as we're recording this that uh, I was without uh, water uh, this weekend at my home, uh, and and uh, I reminded Lindsay we were fine because this was radio. Because I have a face for radio, and, uh, <laughs> and and the fact that I haven't shaved and I've been bathing in the pool, and I just look like I mean I'm I'm, I'm pretty 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 bad today. So it's, <laughs> well, well, a captain. A captain without water is is probably a challenge. Yes, it is a challenge, you know. So we've got a well uh, on Wadmala, and it's 600 feet deep, and it it's salt water. And then it goes through a reverse osmosis system to take out the salt, and, and usually our water is really good, but we have none. So uh, <laughs> we're, we're going to try to get that fixed today. So uh, anyway, luck, it's uh, but it's great to have you with us today, you know. You're, you're what I call the classic Jersey guy, but but you went to Purdue. Uh, <laughs> that's a long migration uh, to West Lafayette, uh, Indiana. How'd you end up at Purdue? You know, it, it, it's funny. It's those people in life who make a difference in your life. And, and we, I grew up in a really small Jersey Shore town. I mean, there were a hundred of us in a graduating class. Um, and, and we had, a, although in the summer it turned into this vacation vacation land, but I had a phenomenal teacher. Uh, who was a, a physics teacher who really took an interest in all of us. And, and he was a Purdue grad. And I'd like to say I was the trailblazer, but I wasn't. Um, my sister was there and we we're very tight. She's a year older than me. And at one point, believe it or not, this small high school with less than 500 students, while I was there at Purdue, there were nine of us in West Lafayette, Indiana from the Jersey Shore. Wow, that so, shows uh, what an influence he must have been. Um, no question. Wow. Well, I love the town. I mean, I, I think Purdue's in one of the coolest little towns, West Lafayette. I love the campus. Uh, you know, when you, you know, I'm a John Wooden guy, and you walk on yeah. John Wooden Lane, and you, and you look at, uh, you know, where Piggy Lambert coached, and and uh, you, you know, I think the basketball arena is probably the best. Uh, arena in the country in terms of watching college basketball. Absolutely. And then you see, you know, this this little statue of a guy named Neil Armstrong. <laughs> yeah, you know, and you go, wow, what it's 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 a cool place. 
Well, you know, it, it really represents what this is supposed to be about, which unfortunately I think sometimes we lose our way a little bit. But but college sports and the beauty of it is this intersection of, of all the incredible lessons that you learn in athletics, but don't forget why you're really there, which is, is the academic component of it. So I'm proud. I'm proud to be a Boilermaker, as is, is my sister. And I know there's a, there's a lot of folks who, who grew up listening to Springsteen and playing in arcades and riding on rides here in my little town that are proud to say the same. Well, it's interesting. When I went to my last football game last fall at Purdue, um, it was the Minnesota game. And obviously Minnesota brought a great team in and brought a lot of fans. And there was a lot of excitement in the in the stadium, but one of the things it was Military Appreciation Day at Purdue, and you know they had the flyover, and and then they did something I've never seen before. I guess they have a, a an enormous ROTC program, and they literally on the field during the game inducted about a hundred st- students into the wow. service. And it, you talk about giving you cold chills. Sure, uh, I mean it was it, like I said, it's just I just think it's one of those magical college towns. Um, a little bit of a throwback. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm trying to think of this, this hamburger joint I ate that had been there for like a hundred years or something that was just phenomenal. And it just, just, it's just a cool town. It is. It is. So you got out and then what happened? Well, you know, the, the real launch was I had an opportunity um, when internships weren't that big back in the 1800s when I was, in, <laughs> when I was at Purdue. Uh, but I was fortunate enough to land an internship with the New York Knicks. Um, and the irony of it, it was, it was actually through my dad, who was principal in my little hometown. Um, and one of his teachers was the daughter of the GM of the New York Knicks. And, and I saw that there was a, an opportunity to work in sports, which I never thought existed. You know, my parents always raised us to go after, find your passion. Make sure you can make money off of your passion but you'll go try to find a career in it and try to be the best you can be. And when I learned that these opportunities existed, I jumped at it. So I actually worked Patrick Ewing's draft day and, and working in New York city. I mean, I was bitten by the bug, um, but it was, and it was there that, you know, it was, that was 1985. And to this day, it's the best career advice I was ever given by someone when I was looking at what's next. And, and the advice was, if you have it in you, if it's in your DNA, to generate revenue, go learn how to do it. Because in life, if you are a revenue line and not an expense line, you will control your destiny. Um, And so I took that advice and was very, very fortunate within a couple of weeks. I I found an opportunity in fundraising at Rutgers University. And I went on to to a 10-year career working in intercollegiate athletics, both at Rutgers and the University of Maine. In fundraising, corporate sponsorship, ticket sales, uh, merchandising—you name it—and and that's when it really, really happened for me. And it also, as I said before, really gave me my love for the true purpose of what college sports is really about. So uh, I did that for a bit. Um, had that entrepreneurial spirit that many people do, and uh, left it with a wife, three kids. Uh, all of the money that a $45,000 a year job will provide you <laughs> and, and moved in with my mom, with my family and launched the business. 
Um, and you I, talked about, I've been there. I, I, you know, that sound yeah. you hear at night, that's your heart beating. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and it was stereo because I could hear my wife's too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I remember my wife, we, we had a really good job. We went and closed on our first house and I went back into the office and resigned. And, 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 you know, cause I knew I wouldn't, I couldn't get a loan, a home loan, you know, mm-hmm. being on my own. And, and, you know, my wife kept saying, are we going to be okay? I, I drive her crazy. I, you know, I'm, I'm like you, I'm a, I'm a hunter in a farmer's world. And my line that makes her crazy is honey, money's like Doritos. We'll just make more. Uh, you know, <laughs> she rolls her eyes and, uh, it usually says something I can't say on, 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 on publicly, but, uh, I, you know, for your wife to let you do that, I mean, that, that, you know, that, that talks about the great marriage that you have, but because truly a career is, is driven by two people. Um, no and so, so you go out on your own and you, you, you come home. <laughs> to, I, to, I, I have a feeling that your parents hadn't quite planned that. Yeah, uh, they, they hadn't, they hadn't. And, 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 you know, um, I was fortunate. I mean, my parents were amazing. And unfortunately my dad, while I was up at Maine had passed. So, okay. um, so mom was here. So well, she was probably uh, glad to have y'all at that point. She was, yeah. she was phenomenal. Kids. Yeah. No, no question. But you talk about gut check and you talk about egos, which we all have, you know, to move back to your hometown, you know, at 31 or 32 years of age with your kids. And I'm going to move in with mom in this small little community where everybody knows your name. So you, you, you talk about inspiration to make it happen. It was there. And it, no more so than looking at those three mouths and looking at the generosity of my mom and, you know, and it was, uh, you know, this is a community. I, I say this all the time. It was, it was my wife saying, I'll go back to work. It was my mom saying, come here. It was my sister who's been CEO of, of multiple companies and sits on publicly traded boards who said, here's some money to start an office. Uh, it was friends and family picking up the kids and dropping them off so I could go do what I needed to do. And, and it was very successful. And the irony is, though, despite the success of that, uh, a potential future client, the National Football uh, Foundation and College Hall of Fame, offered me an opportunity to give up my business and, and go down a completely different path. And that was a tough decision because we had already put on so much on the line. It was really starting to pay off. But I saw, Rick, the, the board, and you know about the Board of Governors that's at the National Football Foundation. Uh, it was truly career-changing for me, the chance to go uh, and generate revenue for a sport I love and work directly with a board that included, you know, captains of industry like, you know, Bill Schreier, CEO of Merrill Lynch and Donald Keogh, who was the CEO of, of, of Coke at the time and and sports leaders and George Steinbrenner, believe it or not, big football guy back in his day. He was on the board and Roy Kramer and Jim Host and Archie Manning, all of that chance to go and learn from them um, and watch them and listen to them really, really kind of carved a new path and changed my life because it's also there that I met T.J. Nelligan. Well, it's interesting. I mean, really, the company you keep, 
the people that you meet on the path, the people that help you, the contacts, that's really what leads it. But, you know, somebody somebody said to my wife recently, she said, your husband was an overnight success, wasn't she? She said, oh, absolutely, and it was a long night. <laughs> you know, so so you think about, you know, your career, you're, you're, in, you're with the Knicks, then you're with universities, then you're back doing your own thing. But you saw a unique opportunity with the National Football Foundation. And like you said, then you meet TJ. Um, yeah. and, and so then what happened? So, you know, it, I, I, I laugh because what you said before so resonates. My dad always used to say to me, you are who your friends are. Um, so make sure you're, you're hanging out with the right people. And TJ and I just had a connection when he was at Host Communications and I was at the foundation and Host sold for the first of many times. And TJ was given the opportunity to go off on his own. And, and we sat and he talked about his vision for multimedia rights and, and where it needed to go. And, and the concept of being uh, of creating partnerships as opposed to just buying somebody's multimedia rights. So we went on this incredible 14-year run. And while we did have Louisville's and Rutgers of the world um, on our resume, you know, we were really known as being kind of the group of five uh, or the basketball-centric multimedia rights representatives and, and generated unprecedented dollars for two reasons. One was because of our model, because of a model of cooperation. Um, but number two was this more holistic campus-wide approach that we had. We brought, shortly after I joined, Tim Holford came on as our president. Tim had been the the AD at Villanova University, and had really created some really strategic and game-changing campus partnership that extended beyond the traditional pouring rights deals that most campuses have. You know, started getting into healthcare and insurance and training, et cetera. And so we ran with that. And in fact, I chuckle a lot today when people talk about the new buzzword, the new the, the new approach of campus-wide in our industry. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm an old guy. <laughs> I've been doing it for 20 years now. So uh, we had the run. Uh, 14 years, and like so many others, uh, we sold to Learfield uh, in 2014. And that's – I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say, you know, I, I'm a big TJ fan. Uh, again, I, I, I refer to as people as either farmers or hunters. You know, I'm, I'm from the school of – I guess the conservative side politically that there's no such thing as a free lunch. Somebody has to pay for everything and, and the hunters of the world go out and generate revenues and he did a great job. But what I had great admiration for him was, you know, when he left and sold what he did for Special Olympics, um, you, you know, a guy that put his money <laughs> where his heart was. And, and I, I, I think that's uh, it, it's, it's very um gratifying to see what he what he did yeah dj was blessed to have had a an incredible incredible kids but sean um his first uh was was special needs uh and anyone who met sean now again had their life changed he was just an incredible human being who could bring light into any room and um that was tj's inspiration and you know and unfortunately Unfortunately, um, Sean passed unexpectedly about a year ago, Yep. And, and it was devastating for all of us who knew him, and certainly for TJ. But you'll be happy to know, Rick, I don't know if I've mentioned this to you, but, but TJ has, has actually just 
uh, written a book uh, about living life like Sean. Oh, you know? I, I and, didn't know that. I got to get him yeah. on the podcast. I, I, I need uh, to reach out. You, to, you yeah, we got. Yeah, I need to get to TJ and let him talk about the book uh, and his life. Um, that that would be uh, that would be really really fun. Um, so, yeah, so, so you, so you have a chance to, to go to work at Learfield or do something else. And you yeah, made the decision to do something else. Yeah. You know, I stayed with them for a few months and they're a good company with good people. There's no question about it. Um, but their philosophy and mindset about buying the rights and owning the rights and monetizing them in that path was so different from what I knew and quite frankly, what I believed in. And while I did not intend to compete against them, because, again, I was a partner in Elegant when we sold, um, I saw that there was a void that was being missed. I saw there was a void in some of the, the group of five schools. I, I saw a void that was there with the basketball-centric schools uh, that, you know, bigger isn't always better. And so I was fortunate enough because of the sale. Uh, to join a couple of folks who also had come from Nelligan. And we were going to launch our business, you know, in, in my garage, <laughs> to, <laughs> to say the least. And uh, I met with I met with Van Wagner, who were great friends. I knew Van Wagner over the years. A lot of folks know Van Wagner by not knowing Van Wagner. If you have seen the Allstate Field Goal Net program, you know Van Wagner. If you have seen center court signage in, in the NBA or home plate signage in Major League Baseball and all the ads that run or – or they were really the, the first company to put courtside signage in on the college basketball level. If you've seen that, you know Van Wagner. So I knew them not only because of their resources, but the quality of the people uh, and who they were and what they represented. So instead of doing it on our own, and when I learned more about the other actual uh, capabilities that they were bringing on as the company, I realized, and Mark Donnelly, who's my senior vice president, he realized this was an opportunity to be more, to truly be a full service revenue and marketing solutions company for the college space, which is why we joined Van Wagner and again, formed a different model, had resources because Van Wagner has been a very successful company over the years. Richard Shapps, who is an amazing story onto his own, uh, you know, a former New York City cab driver who bought a very tiny outdoor billboard company and grew it to become the largest privately held outdoor billboard company in America, uh, speaks volumes to, you know, entrepreneurial spirit and vision and, and, and what he's been able to create over the years. So, so I knew there was something special there. And so we joined and because of those resources, Richard said, go do what you need to do to build a company that can be the best in this space. However, we decide to define it common theme in my life with my parents and, and, and Richard, et cetera. So I was, in, uh, gave me the ability, Richard gave me the ability to bring on former college administrators, former sales leaders at nearly every multimedia rights company and build a senior team that I think is the best in the business. We have, Rick, out of our nine senior folks, we have seven former athletic administrators, including two former athletic directors, um, all nine of us have collectively worked for essentially every multimedia rights company that has ever existed. And, and it's the collaboration of that mindset and the philosophies that we all gained and the experience that we all gained individually on our journeys 
which enabled us to build a model that we feel is very, very different today and which allows companies, institutions and our corporate partners to thrive because of the engagement that we have from all parties. Yeah, you've got you've aggregated wisdom <laughs> um, and that's very, very powerful today. You know, talk a little bit about kind of the the model. You know, it's it, it's it's not a hey, I'm going to buy your rights fees and 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 then, uh, you know, hope to make a profit and, and I'm not going to collaborate with you anymore. <laughs> I'm going to live yeah. in this bubble. Tell, tell, talk, talk, talk about what y'all do a little differently there. Yeah, we start with where are you? You know, let's share with us all of your revenue, share with us your expenses, share with us what's important to you. And and from there, together, we build a model that includes a transparent expense budget that we're, we're all engaged in. So uh, and then we go to revenue share. So how do we build revenue share that's most advantageous to the institution, keeps us both engaged and inspired to get every single deal closed that makes sense for the institution. Keeps us all engaged on the expense side. Yeah. Where do we both want to invest our money to help revenues grow? Where do we need to be? And it's that nimbleness and flexibility, which is really, it's interesting because unfortunately with these unprecedented times, you are hearing and seeing the rest of the industry starting to shift to more of a revenue share model from the, the uh, you know, significant rights fees that have been paid over the last decade or more. Well, we don't know what's going to happen this fall. You know, I, I, I was telling um, Lindsay, my producer this morning that uh, I feel like I'm living my life on a seesaw. Uh, <laughs> you know, one day I'm up and I see clarity. I see the horizon. I think college football is going to reopen. I think we're going to be okay. And, and then, darn, the next day I'm back down in the dirt <laughs> yeah, yeah. on the bottom. Well, well, you know, your crystal ball right now, I mean, you work, you know, I guess the good news is you have fewer football schools, but I worry about basketball being even more susceptible to COVID. Um, you know, we play in small arenas, and it's kind of hard in small arenas to get people to sit six feet apart and not to cheer and not to do those kinds of things. What – what are you seeing and what are you telling your clients right now? Uh, well, it, it goes back to fundamentally what we believe in first and foremost, which is the true value isn't the stuff. Now, don't get me wrong. The games are important. But the true value isn't a sign in a stadium uh, or a radio spot during a broadcast. The true value to the institution, if you think this way and you sell this way on a much more holistic approach, is the brand. It's 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 their audience. It's the affinity that college sports delivers. Yeah, we call that the tribe, you know, the tribe. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, You know, your tribe is the most valuable asset an institution has. There's no question about it. So if the only way to this point you've been touching them is, you know, you have a hundred thousand people in the sands and they see a bunch of signs and, and see, uh, see promotions at halftime or you name it. Um, then you got a little more trouble. You have, you have more struggles. The fact that we've been selling a much more holistic approach, not just through athletics, but one of the first things that we do when we get on campus is we make develop relationships with the alumni association, with student life, with housing, with career services, so that we know what they're looking for as well. So that when we meet with a corporate partner, we truly try to understand what their objectives are, 
how this incredible platform that is the world of colleges and universities can help them meet their, their multitude of needs. And how do we put together partnerships that meet those? And then you certainly try to spread the wealth with those other divisions on campus because they need to recognize some revenue off of all of that as well. Well, it's if interesting. Your- yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's interesting that the tribe never sees the brand in verticals. <laughs> The tribe sees the brand every touch point at the university. And you've been able to say, look, let's get all those touch points together, aggregate those in a way that's, again, more beneficial to the tribe and then therefore is more beneficial for sponsors. Absolutely. And if you really also believe, Rick, which which I do with every fiber of my soul, there is no better way to advance whatever your marketing or advertising objectives are than through this platform of colleges and universities. If, if, if you fundamentally believe that, um, and you also believe that colleges and universities aren't just advertising platforms, that you go back to what I mentioned earlier, what's most important? Right? The opportunity it's creating for young men and young women to grow their careers and have successful lives and be the future leaders. Time and time again, every report and study shows you that the great leaders in this country typically were athletes. So if you believe all of that and you also recognize that at least 85% of your corporate partnerships are coming from a local and regional community, you have an ability to convince people and ask people to keep investing. Times are tough. You need to work with them. You need to be able to make sure that that their investment level meets their needs and their objectives. But there's a way you start almost shifting into a philanthropic pitch, if you will, on the necessity and importance of keeping your investment here, because this is who it's impacting. And if you can do that and have a long term approach and be willing. And again, we can do this because of our partnership model with our schools to renegotiate deals. Make sure you're taking care of the corporate partners. Make sure they're getting a return on their investment, making sure that they're still engaged in the institution and the long term success, because a lot of them, that's why they're there. If you do that, I think we've got a better chance of success than some that are simply selling signs in radio spots. Uh, One of the things that's really saddened me in the last, you know, 90 days has been this the number of schools that have had to drop sports and uh you know, I think about young people and they've chased their dreams for a long, long time. You know, you signed a baseball scholarship and you go and then suddenly they say, I'm sorry, the baseball team's not going to exist here anymore. It, it, it's been very difficult to watch. And I really worry as we get closer to the fall that we're going to see even more um, be lost. And I love the fact that you talked about it becoming more of a philanthropic position and you're positioning back to the sponsor that, that you're really subsidizing, helping subsidize something in your community, in your backyard. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's got to go that way. And you're right, Rick. I think, I think the number of sports, um, the personnel, I think the way that college sports conducts itself as a business today, I think the way that universities conduct their business today will most likely never be the same again. Uh, and that's not all bad. Either, no, no. Right? I there's, think there's, that's going to create great opportunity. I, I felt like the model was broken for a long time and that all the, the coronavirus did was was reveal it uh, yeah, or accelerate right. it. Um, and, 
you know, we've got to get back to being smart. We, we, we pay too much. In, in many cases, we pay salaries too high. We, we're in this arms race for venues and, 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 and uh, facilities that, that we just couldn't keep up with. Yeah, and it goes, again, it, it continues to go back to what's our real purpose. And if you, if you fundamentally, if you realize that that is the foundation of what has made college sports so successful, that's the success. That's the real success of college sports. So if you go back to that, you'll still be able to build a heck of a house because your foundation will always be solid and strong. Um, but, but at times, like you said, at times we, we as an industry have forgotten that. Well, I want to. We, we just have a few more minutes. I, I want to talk about your friend because um, I think it ties into what you're saying about everything, and that's that's your friend that started Jersey Mike's. I, I'm a I'm a huge fan. Um, you know, number one, I'm a huge fan of the quality of the product. You talk about innovation; they, they cut the meat when you come in there. So you yeah. you know, I mean, you, you feel like you're in a real deli. Um, the whole concept of a sub above they tend to walk that talk. I mean, I, I, I look for it, but, but more importantly, this guy seems to understand community, philanthropy and family maybe better than anybody I've seen. I know there, he's a friend and they're a client of yours. Talk a little bit about, about him and, 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 and what, what they've done. You know, it's, it's, uh, I'm so proud of Peter Cancro and, and what he has built and, it's a testament to not only who he is, but it's a testament to small town America. I mean, Peter grew up in Point Pleasant Beach, my hometown. Um, parents were divorced. He worked how to help mom and, and, and worked his way with his brothers and sisters. They all worked in high school. At the same time, he was one heck of a high school football player. And at 17, uh, he had already committed to uh, he was going to go to the University of North Carolina and he was going to play football and pursue a career at law someday. And his mom hears a rumor on the street that his sub shop that he worked at, Mike Subs, was for sale. And uh, he's 17 years old. And the first thing he does is he rings the doorbell of, of our local Pop Warner football coach, who was football coach for, for decades here in town. And he was also a bank president. Sort of a, a, a one, it's a wonderful life story. And, and Mr. Smith, Rod Smith, got him the loan. Um, he wasn't even old enough to sign it himself. <laughs> he got him the loan to purchase the store. And if, if you hear Peter talk about what made him a success, it was stories about, you know, things that my dad did, you know, when he was, when he was young and trying to find himself and showing confidence in him and hiring him to start up a Saturday enrichment program in our town to teach young kids how to play sports. And, and it was, it was our football coach, coach Fioretti, our high school football coach who, who became another father to him. It, it was two wonderful people in this community who started great. I know you always do your, 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 your great advice on places to eat. <laughs> the phenomenal place called the lobster shanty here in Point Pleasant beach and Jack Baker who owned it took Peter under his wing and there was a Hoffman's ice cream store. It was a home family owned ice cream store. And Mr. Hoffman showed Peter the value of giving back to your community. And it was all of those things that just resonated with him. And he, he just captured those moments throughout his life and recognized them as he built a company. And from day one, as a 17 year old kid, he lived it. He made sure he gave back to his community 
And he has gone on from that one little store to build a, a billion-dollar industry uh, with Jersey Mike's, whose core principles are about just giving. Give to give is what they say. Don't give looking for something on the backside. If you're, if you're pure in your heart with what you do and making a difference and support your community and support each other, you'll make a difference in life. And one of the benefits of that has been that it's that philosophy, which isn't easy to pass on in a franchise-type company, is absolutely embraced by their franchisees. And he makes sure that that giving has been phenomenally local, but also, you know, collectively has made an incredible impact on people's lives. And they are thriving. Well, many people today are trying to survive in this economy. They're thriving. And they're thriving I think, because of those principles. Well, I know we've been there several times since this. We, we haven't been out to eat very much, quite frankly, because we're trying to keep our business together and pay our folks and do that kind of stuff. But... You know, they had their, their day of charity where they donated so much of their proceeds, and, and we went and, and, and supported uh, a couple of stores that we actually ate <laughs> lunch That's and great. dinner at two different sites, one in West Ashley and one on James Island. And I, I'm just a big uh, admirer of what he's built and how, like you said, he's been able to take that culture and in a franchised model uh, be able to do something different. I'm a big Chick-fil-A fan, but Chick-fil-A owns all their stores and it's right. easier, you know, when you own them to kind of dictate philosophy and a franchisee, it takes amazing leadership to be able to do that. And uh, I also think that this coronavirus is bringing back small towns. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people have looked and said, you know what? I'm going to go live in a smaller community. I'm going to go raise my family someplace with maybe a different value system. Or I'm not saying it's necessarily safer, but but it's different. And and I I think the values you learned in your town, the values that Peter learned in the same town, the values that you have with your company, the foundation of your company, and the values that he has with the foundation of his company means that that's why you're going to thrive and it continued to be great. Hey, I got to get you back because we got a lot more to talk about, but I want to thank you for being here with us today from the bridge. Okay, let's get back up on that old soapbox. We all know that innovation requires change. And people simply don't like change. But I guess I'm the exception, not me. I'm from the rare school of if it's not broken, then break it. I even have a formula for change. That formula says D plus V plus P is less than the cost of the change. What does all that mean? Well, the D stands for dissatisfaction. You see that things could be better. And then you add the V for your vision. Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? What does success look like? Then you add the P, your plan, the process. The key is to determine if your dissatisfaction, your dream, your plan is less than the cost of the change. And in most cases, it is. So what stops us? Usually other people who tell us that it cannot happen, 
that this is the way everybody does it in this business, that they've tried something similar before. Well, you get the idea. But, you know, often it's not them. It's you. You won't pursue change. And usually it's because of a fear of failure. Here's what I know about failure. It's rarely fatal. People make excuses for fear. They'll say, hey, I'm too old, or I'm too young, or I'm a woman, or I'm a man, or I'm black, or I'm white. Everybody's got a reason. Guess what these are? These are excuses. You want to change the world? Change yourself first. No excuses. And that's my view from the soapbox. As always, we'll close today with another On the Road with Rick. We often drive from Charleston to Live Oak, Florida in North Florida, where my in-laws live. About halfway down there is the town of Darien, Georgia. Darien is a quaint shrimping village with shrimp boats tied up on the Darien River near downtown. One of my very favorite places to eat there is Skipper's Fish Camp. They have great, and I mean great, not good, fried local shrimp, and I love fried shrimp. It comes with all the fixings, coleslaw, fried okra, and hush puppies, plus a big old baked potato, and you're set to either get back in the car or take a nap. (laughs) It's right off I-95 in Darien near Brunswick, Georgia. Try it the next time you drive south to Florida. Skipper's Fish Camp. That's a wrap for today. Thanks to Mike Polisi for a great show. I hope to see you next week from the bridge.